What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I've been thinking about uh, Thanksgiving traditions, and I'm only thinking about Thanksgiving traditions because I interviewed Dan Lanning, the Oregon football coach. They got a big game coming up this weekend against Utah. And as part of that interview, I said, uh, you know, should I ask you the question or should I warm you up first? And he said, oh, you want to know about my Thanksgiving traditions? And then he proceeded to talk about the fact that he doesn't really do a turkey for Thanksgiving. Yes, we ended up talking about Bo Nix and what he didn't want to say about his injury or whatnot. We'll talk about that later in this podcast. But John Wilner, it got me thinking, do you have any Thanksgiving traditions in the Wilner household? When I say Thanksgiving tradition, what are we talking about? Well, hold on. He doesn't have turkey? He he doesn't. And he, he was talking about his wife apparently is Cambodian, and he said they they have done Cambodian food. They do a ham. He was talking about honey-baked honey ham. But he okay. also—he's a football coach. He also—and I don't think, you know, Mario Cristobal, his predecessor, was much better. I think they kind of—the football coaches are in football week mentality. They're not, like, waking up and preparing a turkey all day. So he said he's not he's not really a participant on the actual day of the event, which I okay. think was really interesting. That but is. Do you I'll have, tell you what. Yeah, go ahead. I would take Cambodian food for Thanksgiving. That, I know. That stuff is fantastic. Not too bad. Do you have a tradition? Wilner family tradition? Um, my two traditions are I try to go for a run and then not eat at all. And then <laughs> the other tradition is I do the dishes. So <laughs> like that. That's not bad. That's not bad. My wife was born in Taiwan, so I had a very similar, like when Lanning said that, I related to it because I remember the very first Thanksgiving, I had China, I had kind of grown up traditional. Like we had, you know, Italian family. Sometimes we would have turkey. We would have, you know, all the normal, you know, stuffing, mashed potatoes. But every once in a while, uh, Grandma Canzano would mix in some kind of pasta into a either Christmas Eve dinner or a Thanksgiving dinner or something. So there, you know, so... Uh, I always thought everybody just did turkey thing ever. And my wife, on the very first Thanksgiving we had, her family brought over seafood. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is this is Thanksgiving. We don't do seafood. We don't do crab. We, we don't do, this is not, this is not appropriate. And uh, I just remember thinking about that and thinking, you know what? Like, sometimes you don't know that your traditions aren't necessarily everybody's traditions. Yep. Very true. Very true. Crab, we, we used to do uh, crab on uh, New Year's Eve. That was our tradition for a while. See? There you go. That's a good tradition. Until I, uh, until my daughter developed an allergy to shellfish, oh. and so now we are uh, we don't have crab anymore. Well, you had to make uh, a choice there, didn't you? I love yeah. crab, but I love her a little bit more. <laughs> there you go. Um, there you the go. other tradition I had growing outside, you know, I grew up Washington, D.C. area, was rooting for the Cowboys to lose, <laughs> preferably to get embarrassed humiliated in some fashion or form, but that was the that was the other big tradition. We used to go down to the, and play mud football. You know, I grew up in California, but I, uh, I we used to go play mud football in the park. That was that was something that we would do, tackle football in the park. And then we started getting old where people started getting hurt, and we, we called an end to that tradition. Yeah. I, read, I read a story once about there was a family that their tradition was they, they would cut the turkey in half before they cooked it, and nobody in the family— quite knew why that was the tradition, Wilner. And and then they started asking each other, like, why do we do this? Why do we cut the turkey in half? Because I've never heard of that. 
And it turned out that like two or three generations earlier, grandma had a small oven and the turkey wouldn't fit. So they had the grandma had cut the turkey in half. And then long after she was gone, the family continued to cut the turkey in half because they thought that's just how they did turkey on oh, Thanksgiving. Man. So that's fantastic. That's the power of tradition. When you uh, when you talk about Thanksgiving, there used to be, you know, the other thing about it is uh, there never used to be as many college football rivalry games on, uh, you know, Thanksgiving weekend. Right. A lot of the season was shorter. It ended ended uh, the rivalry games were all before Thanksgiving. And now, you know, now it's now goes into December. Right. The regular season goes into December. That's right. You need. I used to watch the Great Alaska shootout. Right. That was Always Thanksgiving weekend, you know, the whole college sports has totally changed. So the, the my viewing habits have changed as well over Thanksgiving weekend. I think the sports calendar in general is problematic because we used to have really defined seasons. And now everybody wants everything to be year round. And now we, we talk about the NFL wanting to creep into Saturdays and the college football season, you know, creeping earlier. Major League Baseball, it's not Mr. October. It's, you know, it could be Mr. November. At some point, I just I feel like our, our calendar is all jacked up and, you know, we need to fix that. Although I think the money is driving that that conversation. Yeah. Speaking of the money, other issue, yeah, go ahead. the other issue that I'm going to have next week, starting next week, and it's a big issue, is the World Cup overlapping with college football is mm -hmm. just killing me because I love the World Cup and I will watch every minute of group play. I don't care as much once they get to the round of 16, but I love group play and I don't know how I'm going to be able to pay attention because – the games are going to be on, but it's, you know, it's the stretch run. There's going to be a ton going on in college football. So I am very disappointed in that. John Strong, the voice of American soccer, who is uh, one of the broadcasters who's over there calling the World Cup games, the matches, whatever you're calling. He used to be on my radio show. That's where he got his start out of the University of Oregon. And so I watched those World Cup games just to hear that guy call the games. I'm not really into I'm not into the soccer. I'm not that into it. But I watch because, you know, that's my guy. And he's he's on uh, he's on the big screen on the big stage. So uh, I'll check him out. And uh, so if you see John Strong on one of those games, I got his whole list of the games that he's broadcasting. Give him a listen. You know, he's got a connection to the Pac-12 University of Oregon grad and a guy who uh, used to be on my show. Um, nice. Hey, I got a question for you. You uh, you were at the UC Regents meeting on Thursday, and I was watching online. But I gotta know, what was it like to be in that room? It was a, it looked a little uh, formal, and you know, as they go around the room and uh, give us give us the scene setter. Yeah, it was a little courtroom esque, uh, boardroom courtroom combination. Uh, very formal, you know, giant giant table and the the regents are all lined up around the table and and you know representatives from UCLA and Cal were that both the both chancellors were there Gene Block from UCLA Carol Chris from Cal Martin Jarman the UCLA athletic director was there as well obviously UCLA was an important piece of the whole meeting you know they're not just talking about the UCLA Big 10 thing they've got a whole bunch of business involving the University of California and its campuses uh but it was it was pretty formal at, it was it was a letdown. You know, I thought there was a real good chance they were going to finally make a decision on this UCLA situation. And we get up there and, you know, the closed session, they don't let reporters into the closed session. And that ran long. So it wasn't the doors didn't open for the open portion. Uh, 
for about an hour. It was about an hour late. We get in there, sit down. There was a few reporters there as well, other reporters. So when you're waiting outside, what's going on? What like what's the scene outside? Is it like being in a courthouse or what? Do you, where are you? Well, no, we were just in a hallway. And you're waiting. just waiting. Like in a cor- we were in a corridor. It was at the University of San Francisco, or at the UC San Francisco campus, which is not an undergraduate campus. It is basically uh, a medical school okay. with a hospital. You know, UCSF Hospital is a fantastic hospital. We're in one of their a conference center in one of their buildings. It's it's very close to Chase Center. It's very close to the ballpark. Uh, and we're just waiting in a corridor. And finally, they, they let us in. And... Um, it was uh, it was a little bit of a letdown. I got to tell you, it was a little bit of a nothing burger. It was a nothing burger with nothing on it, right? There was <laughs> it was just plain nothing burger, not even a bun. Dude. Because we get in there, and the first thing the cha- the the open session starts, and the chair says, "I have an announcement. We are going to set up a special session in on December fourteenth to make a final decision on UCLA." And I'm like, "Wait." This thing's been going on for 30 seconds, and I can already leave. I mean, I didn't leave because I wanted to hear what the discussion was going to be like and talk to some folks. But, you know, they they passed. They punted it for another month. So they're going to meet December 14th at UCLA. And the reason they're meeting at UCLA is there was another Regents meeting already planned for Westwood. So they're tacking on the UCLA Big Ten issue to that. So December 14th, they will make a final decision on the Bruins. It It's fascinating to me that they would announce that at the beginning. Why do you think they came right out at the beginning of the meeting and said, hey, look, another meeting a month from now, we're punting? Why? Why? Nobody punts on first down, Wilner. Why did they punt on first down? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did. I don't I don't think they did it for uh, the reporters who were present. Uh, I, I'm not really sure. You know, it was live streamed. A lot of people watched it, right? So maybe they just wanted to be very candid about it because they knew a lot of people were watching because of that issue, right? I mean, people aren't tuning in to necessarily to watch some of the other UC uh, business. This was the UCLA thing is a big deal. So I guess they just wanted to give everybody a heads up. And then, you know, then they talked about UCLA situation. I don't know, probably 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And, you know, they talked to UCLA Chancellor Gene Block. They they showed, uh, they tra- talked to Carol Chris too. They showed uh, the results of UCLA survey. They talked about college athletics, not just specific to UCLA joining the Big Ten, but kind of the state of college athletics and how this conference re- realignment fits into the future of, of college athletics and what the student athlete experience is going to be. Uh, but really, the news was the first 30 seconds, and that that was that they're going to punt. And we'll see what happens on December 14th, but I am now very confident it will be over at that point. All right. So two things that happened. Gene Block spoke for a little bit. I listened online. I, I, didn't, I couldn't get a sense from the regents where they were leaning. Did you get a sense being in the room? what they were thinking, maybe the the line of questioning that they were asking, the body language, the intonation. There's stuff you pick up in person that you can't get online. Yeah. I mean, to me, the biggest thing was what, and we don't know the exact answer, was what happened in the closed session, right? Because that's where they talk about the financial and legal issues. That's where everything really happens. Um, And that went, I don't know exactly what time that started, but it certainly went much later than they had planned. Uh, so my guess is 
that they got all the good stuff out there. And obviously they knew when the open session started exactly what they were going to do. I could not get a sense from the questions as to which way they were leaning, but I got the vibe I got talking to a few people was, uh, I think that they're, I would be surprised if they very surprised if they blocked the move. I think they're kind of looking for a way out uh, that's going to satisfy as many different constituents as possible, which is why I think that some kind of subsidy for Cal is is p- potentially on the table. Uh, and I also still think that it, it's not it's very unlikely, but you can't rule out the possibility that the Pac-12, uh, like we talked about earlier this week, Pac-12 makes some kind of financial offer, you know, give them a little bit extra cash, extra share and a half or whatever to stay. I think that that's, I, I kind of wondered why they punted. And I, and conspiracy theorists in me had two thoughts. One, I, one of the theories I have is that the governor who really does have some oversight over the regents uh, has some kind of, uh, will play some kind of role ultimately in this. Maybe it's just some public grandstanding. I don't know. The second thought I had was what you just mentioned, that they're waiting another month because they're wait, there may be some input from the Pac-12 they're waiting for, or there may be there's something that needs to be worked out in the meantime. But I also feel like, look, if they go to the Big Ten Conference, there's some potential litigation here. I wonder if UC Berkeley, would the UC system sue itself? Would UC Berkeley sue UCLA? Would the remaining members try to sue UCLA? I don't know. Would the Big Ten sue UCLA if UCLA backtracks? Like, I just think ultimately this is going to end up in some kind of legal uh, proceeding before it's done, one way or another, no matter what happens. So they're obviously trying to be careful here, aren't they? Oh, yeah. And they've had uh, August. They've had at least three different sessions, closed door session to discuss legal and financial implications, right? That's the good stuff is never in the open portion. Mm. And they met in what? Uh, they certainly met in August. They met in October, now November. So that's three different closed sessions to talk, to hash that stuff out. Uh, and there may be another one scheduled for December yet. They haven't posted the agenda. But I do think the PAC-12 situation is is part of it, right? It's possible that the PAC-12, right? We think that they're getting close to a hard contract offer on the media rights. And that December 14th meeting, it's possible the PAC-12 would actually have a hard number that they could you know, use as a comparison to what UCLA would get in the Big Ten. Now, whether that hard number is to figure out what kind of subsidy Cal might get, whether there's a hard number that includes like a hypothetical, if UCLA stays, we'd get X. If UCLA leaves, we're going to get X minus Y. I don't know, but I do think that that is, you know, that date is right about where the Pac-12 should be wrapping up its negotiations. Did you read into sort sort of the notes that the regents had in front of the meeting? There was a line in there about the Pac-12 not yet providing, you know, media yes. rights data. And I couldn't figure out if I should be mad at the Pac-12 for that or was it a strategy uh, move by the Pac-12 to not have firm numbers available, or is that really what we're waiting here for between now and December 14th? Yeah, it's possible that they are, that that is a big a big piece of it. And I, you know, I don't know enough. I know there's a lot of fans that are frustrated and think Pac-12 is dragging its feet, but 
and and partly because the Big 12 was able to get a deal done so quickly. But there, that's two different issues because the Big 12 simply re-upped with its partners. The Pac-12 is likely having new partners involved. And again, the Big 10 took about six months to get its media rights deal done, and it includes new partners, right? NBC, CBS. Pac-12 has been going for what? How many months? Four? So- you know, they should be finishing soon, but I'm not sure it's not a good comparison. It's it's basically apples and oranges with the Big 12 because the Big 12 is just re-upping with its with its its partners. Once you go to the open market and you bring new partners in and new packages of games, it takes a lot longer. Far more complicated. I was told uh, by Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president, that, you know, letter of agreement would, uh, you know, often gets done first and then – it's hammering out details, and he uh, made that very point. That when you have new partners, it, there's a whole bunch of things that you need to talk about that you don't have to talk about if you're just re-upping a deal. Um, I am John Canzano. Yeah. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Grab a free subscription. Grab a paid subscription. That's where you find me. Whatever works for you works for me. Uh, we're with John Wilner here, pac12hotline.com, Bay Area News Group superstar. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about one of the big, uh, uh, you know, controversial things that came out of last week's game, Chris Hudson, the wide receiver at Oregon, uh, at, you know, clearly faked an injury at the end of near the end of regulation. This week, he admitted as such and said it was part of the game plan. Now, I was watching Oregon play earlier in the year when they were playing against Cal, and Hudson did the same thing prior to halftime against Cal. He sort of laid down, and I noticed it then, but I didn't think much of it because it wasn't like a really close game. It wasn't at a crunch time. Like He did that. They were out of timeouts. He sort of did the same thing. What do you make of all this? How big a deal is this, Wilner? Well, I mean, it's not as big a deal as it would have been if, if Oregon had used that time to find a way to win. I mean, Seattle, the entire Seattle metropolitan area would have just melted down, right? Um so the Pac-12 managed to sidestep a gigantic controversy because Washington held on to win and that faking of the injury didn't impact the end result. Uh, but the conference has got to be aware of it, you know, and they there's a process, right? You, you, they have the option to go to the national office, the NCAA's uh, National Officiating Center and have them review the video evidence and have them consult on, uh, you know, a path forward. I don't know if the PAC 12 has done that with the national audience, but clearly they better be on alert because if this, if the schools think they can get away with it, they're going to do it. If there's any loophole they can exploit, they're going to do it. Yeah. I think, you know, the interesting thing is that, you know, Kalen DeBoer was asked about it and he says, Hey, I have to kind of treat it as, you know, you have to respect a kid until it's like kind of like it's innocent until proven guilty, even though we kind of know some guys are guilty. You know, yep. and the officials have to do the same thing. They're in a bad position there. Terrible. Um, you know, there's history here. You know, it. You know, when Oregon was playing with Chip Kelly, other teams would do it against Oregon, and so this isn't new. I was explaining. Counted to, it. You know, I was explaining Counted. to my wife. I was like, "This is not new. It's poor form, though." And I, I, I look at it, and I got to think. I don't think Oregon will do it again. That's my hunch because I think kind of the, the public accountability, the shame involved in it, I have to think that weighs a little bit with Oregon because— You would hope. I would hope. Like, you know, Dan Lanning seems like he's a guy of substance and character, and, you know, he says all the right things. He takes accountability. I, I just kind of think 
that public outcry, it's valuable in that way because it's better than the officials because the officials can't, they're hamstrung. They can't sit there and go, ah, I don't think you're hurt. Get up. Like you can't no, do you're that. Right. I could do that with my six year old. Like when she's claiming right. to be hurt, she's laying on the living room floor. I can go get up. It's not bad. You can't do that with a college athlete in today's game. No, in fact, the, the NCAA rules basically say the officials have to assume that the injury is real. It's not, they are not put in a position where they where there's judgment involved and they shouldn't be because if it is they can't take the chance that it is real so uh it's it's really ultimately going to be up to the pac-12 to crack down on this before it gets out of hand and everybody is going to be watching all these games close games this weekend certainly all eyes on oregon if it's a close game against utah and let's just hope the ducks don't try to pull that again because if they do then then there needs to be some kind of punishment I just want to be able to put on the World Cup and know that the flopping in the World Cup is not happening in my college football. I don't, want, I don't want to see that. And so I think it's important for listeners, for fans, call it out when you see it. I didn't mind the Washington fans calling Oregon out on it. And I didn't mind, you know, the, the, the coaches at Oregon having to get asked about it and Chris Hudson having to get asked about it. And, you know, I don't know if it's altruistic or not that he kind of admitted it. And he said it was part of the game plan. But Yeah, I know? wonder how that went over inside the football <laughs> oh, office. I almost asked Dan Lanning today. I almost asked, like, you know, can we get a status report on Chris Hudson, who not only gave away that that was part of the game plan, but he also sort of led on that Bo Nix might not be the starter for Oregon this week. Um, that, of course, brings us to the games of the week. Can we start with the Oregon-Utah game, or do we have to wait for it? Because it's the biggest game. Let's uh, no. Let's start with it. Let's, let's start go. with it. all right. Saturday night, seven thirty, ESPN Autzen Stadium. Wilner, let it rip. How do you see that game? I would until last weekend. I would have said that the Ducks would would handle their business, but you can't. The combination of how their defense is looking, Bo Nix's situation. Right. I'm I'm just assuming that Nix is going to play only because if he's not going to play. It's easy to pick Utah. If you figure he is going to play, then you at least have to think about it. Uh, and I just wonder, you know, Washington just went up and down the field on them. And Utah is rounding into form like they always do. They're so well coached. They're, they always play their best in November. That's happening again. I actually think Utah is going to win the game outright, not just cover what is the three Oregon's favorite by. I think no, three. The, 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 the line flipped when Hudson said – you know, oh. he didn't think Bo Nix was going to play, that it would be Ty Thompson. The line went from Oregon as a two- to three-point favorite to to Utah as a two-point favorite now. Oh. So it is flip-flopped. I missed that because I was standing in the, the corridor meeting. waiting yeah. to go into a UC Regents yeah. meeting. <laughs> yeah. So now Utah is a couple points road favorite in this game. So oh, well, you, I'll still take the Utes. You take the Utes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the opposite side of this, only because, look, I— this is not 2021 Utah. This is 2022 Utah. And I have a lot of respect for Kyle Whittingham. I love that program. I love the way they run it. I love the the continuity they have, the culture they've built. It's all worth studying. Everybody should take a look at what Utah is doing. But this is a Utah team that lost at UCLA pretty soundly. This is a Utah team that gave up 42 to USC at home. Uh, this is a Utah team that, you know, we have seen give up points and and lose games, you know, and I so I think as I look at this season and I look at Utah, they're they're not as healthy as they were at the start of the season. They're doing a nice job of starting to use the outside receivers and their run game more, but they were very tight end centric for a few weeks in the middle of the season. It was almost like 
that was all they had on offense. I think it's yep. going to be a great game. I think it's going to be really close. But let's not ignore that the home field in the Pac-12 conference has been a powerful thing. And I don't even think if, if Bo Nix doesn't play, I think Oregon's going to lean heavy into the run game. They're a great run team. But I think they're the eighth or ninth best team in college football when it comes to rushing. I, I have Oregon winning a very close game at home. I have it like 35-34. I wouldn't bet this game because it scares me, the uncertainty at quarterback. But just something tells me, again, Pac-12 after dark, a whole bunch of points, two teams that you know are fighting to get to Vegas. I just like the home team in that game. Yeah. I mean, it, it should be a fascinating game. I can't wait to watch. And, you know, Kind of depends on Oregon's quarterback situation in terms of how much they throw the ball. But, I mean, we're looking at one of the best receiver-cornerback matchups of the entire season with with uh, Troy Franklin going against Clark Phillips, Utah's shutdown corner. I cannot wait to watch that. I hope that Thompson or Nix, if he plays, uh, they can at least deliver the ball because I just I want to see those two guys go at it on the perimeter. That's yeah. going to be fantastic. I won't be surprised if Oregon tries to ugly this game up a little bit and and run the ball and Utah tries to do the same. And so – that's why I don't see this like the USC-Utah game like in the 40s. I think this one's in the 30s, but let, let's see how it plays out. Um, obviously, it's it's a gateway game to the conference championship game for whoever wins that. You know, It gives you yep. a little bit of an inside angle. Um, let's other big game of the weekend, the USC at UCLA game, Saturday, 5 p.m., Fox. Who wins the Battle of L.A.? You know, I've got UCL, uh, USC winning 100 to 96. Um, <laughs> it's, it is... <laughs> Uh, it is the the total. I think is seventy five and a half, and I think that's going to be they're going to plow through that in the midway through the third quarter, right? Um, neither defense is very good, uh, although UC, USC's is more opportunistic. Neither defense is very good, and both offenses are fantastic. And then you throw in the emotions, and there's going to be big plays left and right. But I've got I I like USC to uh, to win that game outright, and it's gonna. I really do think it's going to be something like sixty six to. 58. You and I do not agree this week. All right. So okay. I have forever believed that UCLA was the better of those two teams until last week when Arizona won as a double digit underdog at UCLA. So that was the, uh, it gave me pause. It rattled my confidence, but I'm going to stay with my pick all season long. I think UCLA is just a better, more complete team. Travis die out at running back for USC. I think that yeah. hurts them a little bit. He's not just uh, a guy running the ball and catching passes. The guy's a leader. They're losing him on the field. So I'll take yep. the, the Bruins are at home. They're getting two and a half points. Um, I think the total, I think they go over as well. I have it like 77 points. I don't have 100 points. But I think UCLA is going to put a 40-burger on USC and win this game 40-37. to 37. But uh, I just, you know, I, I just feel like the Bruins, I'm going to excuse their absence last week. You know, maybe I'm wrong for doing that, but I like the Bruins just a little more. I think they're just a little more balanced. Yeah, it could be. And, and the die injury is big. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the Rose Bowl is going to be sold out, uh, which will be quite, quite different for a lot of people in terms of a visual. Uh, but it's it's interesting how there's some injuries now. We haven't got we haven't had a ton of key injuries you know, the import, real important players, but now Nix is hurt, dies hurt, and that, that could change two real, you know, two real big games. Also, I would add, if, like me, anybody out there is rooting for the five-team tie at seven and two, uh, which would just be fantastic, you need UCLA to win this game to give USC a second loss. 
I think UCLA wins it. And then uh, let's move on to the next one. Washington State's at Arizona. This is the early game on Saturday, 11 a.m., Pac-12 Networks. Jaden Delora, Arizona quarterback, says it's personal. Arizona's plan for bowl eligibility. They need to win the last two to get there. Offensively, they're terrific. Is Washington going to make this personal? That's my question. What do you think? Does Does Washington State take the fact that Jaden Delora says it's personal as a personal attack? Do they show up to play or not? I don't think that they're going to look at it quite like he is. I think the way he's looking at it is potentially dangerous for Arizona just because, you know, if a quarterback's got it making it personal, there's a chance he's going to make mistakes, right? You don't want to you don't want to get too emotional in that regard and, and try to force passes, right? So uh, I think that plays into Washington State's hands if Delora is, you know, treating it like it's different. He needs to treat it like it's the same, like it's UCLA. Uh, it'll be real interesting, Arizona's offense against Washington State's defense. How did um, – you had been, what, 17-3 and three against yeah. the spread the previous couple yeah, weeks? How did you do this past week? I went 2-4 and four last week. I don't want to talk oh. about it. But I'm a little bit mad at Lincoln Riley who ran it up on Colorado at the end. Yes. Or I would have been 3-3. Yes. Three and three. What's he Style doing? Points. What's he doing Style with points. a fake extra point in, with a 23-score lead? Yeah, twenty-two Style point lead. points this time of year. Ridiculous. I mean, if you're a head coach, the system is set up for you to do do that kind of thing because you know the selection committee is looking, and you know that they're expecting that you're going to pummel Colorado. And you get up into the if your first number is a five and their first number is a one, it looks it looks even better. Yeah, I had it until he uh, he laid it yep. on at the end there. Um, look, I I think it. I think you're right on Arizona making it a little too personal. I also Washington State's defense going to take that personally. So um, they're Washington State's favored by three and a half. I don't know if they're going to cover that. I say I say no. I lean no. But I think Washington State wins the game. I think I think they win like a thirty-one thirty game, and they are better with uh, Nakia Watson at running back. They're just they've been better on they offense. Are. So I I think Washington State's the better team. Uh, maybe on both sides of the ball, uh, you know, you take Arizona's offense, you take Washington State's defense. But I just think Washington State has a little more on offense than Arizona defense. So I like yeah, Washington no, State. They do. I like Washington State. They do. Watson is big. Watson's return is big. I I actually have Arizona winning the game only because they are in a must-win situation with the bowl. You know, Washington State's got their bowl clinched. uh, And I generally just wonder about the Northwest schools going to Arizona. Uh, You know, all four of them have had trouble over the years. So I picked Arizona, but, you know, I think it's going to be super close. Arizona State uh, is hosting Oregon State Saturday, 11-15, ESPN2. Beavers, uh, this isn't really out there. The Beavers are going to be shorthanded. I know that they're going to be at least down one starter. Maybe uh, on the defensive side of the ball, they may have to have some backups in there. They're banged up. And I asked Jonathan Smith about it. He wouldn't get into any details. He's doing what everybody else is doing. He's not talking about it. But I think Oregon State is a little banged up. But I just don't think Arizona State is good enough to win this game. But I think it's going to be closer than the 7.5-point spread. Oregon State is favored by 7.5. I have it something like 27-24 Oregon State. They win on the road, and uh, they get to eight wins. They certainly have been impressive. You know, they are beating the teams that they're supposed to beat, right? They lost to SC, Utah, and Washington, but they have taken care of business against the bottom half of of the conference. I just wonder, you know, what is ASU playing for at this point? They got an interim coach. Uh, Nobody knows what the future is going to be there. They have been eliminated from the postseason. I think ASU is looking ahead that, you know, their season now is trying to spoil Arizona's season next week. 
So I think Oregon State's just going to run the ball like 50 times and just, you know, pound them. And I, I've got Oregon State winning uh, 24-13. I just think their defense is so good right now. Yeah, they are defensively better. Uh, let's move to the big game. It'll be Joe Starkey's final big game. He'll be on the play-by-play call uh, for the Bears. Uh, legendary broadcaster, his final game. Cal's favored by five. They're at home. You know how much I love home favorites. I think Cal wins. I think they cover. I have it 27-20, Cal over Stanford. It would be coincidental if there's some kind of screwy ending since this is the 40th anniversary of the play. Uh, But, man, it has been decades since both of these teams were this bad in the same year, right? They each have one win in conference play. I mean, it's – uh, I, I thought both teams should be underdogs, right? You know, uh, but I've got, <laughs> I have Cal winning. Uh, I've got Stanford covering and Cal winning. I think it's going to be close and low scoring because both offenses are bad. Cal doesn't even have an offensive coordinator because they fired Bill Musgrave. I think it's going to be like, you know, 20 to 17 Cal or, I mean, it could, who knows? It could be 12 to nine the way these teams are playing. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see if Cal gets that little uptick that you sometimes get. When you change coordinators, so you've seen that happen. It you know defense will play a little better, offense will play like hey you know the the reins are off. Let's see what happens in that game. Um, uh, also, uh, let's move on to Colorado at Washington, six p.m. Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, any chance of a lot down by the Huskies? They're a thirty-one point favorite. I don't think they lose this game, but any chance that it's closer than maybe people expect because. Washington celebrating the Oregon win a little too hard. Could be, and they got the they got the Cougars next week, right? This is a classic trap game, right? You're coming off a huge win over your rival, and then you got another rival next week, uh, and you're playing the worst team in the conference. So, yeah, I think that there's a chance for a letdown, and I still think Washington will cover, and I still think Michael Penix will be on the bench by the start of the fourth quarter because Colorado is – they're awful, and they're awful on defense, and they're awful against the pass, and that's – Washington's just going to go – up and down the field on them. Here's my one, my one uh, thought that gives makes me pump the brakes on on the fact that that you know I, I like Colorado in 31 and I I like that because Washington's not posturing for the playoffs. They're just you know I think Kalen DeBoer I think they're going to score 45 or so, but I don't think there's going to be any kind of urgency for Washington to get 50 or 60 on Colorado. They're like you said they're looking to next week. They're going to want to get their guys out there. You know, run around, celebrate your touchdowns. And I also think Washington's defense will give up point. Colorado scores 17 to 21. That's what they're going to get in this game. That's what they're they'll get 20 in this game. So I have it like 45-20, a very comfortable win for the Huskies. No shame in that, but I don't see Kalen DeBoer doing what Lincoln Riley did. I don't think there's going to be a fake PAT two-point conversion. I don't think he's going to try to pour it on at the end, throw the football 45-20 late in the game. I think I like Colorado in the 31. Am I nuts? No, you're not nuts. I have picked against. I picked Colorado to cover like, two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was 31 against Oregon, and they couldn't cover. Last week it was 34 against USC, and they couldn't cover. And maybe, maybe part of that was that those teams, you know, were playing for the playoff. But I, I'm I'm done getting burned by <laughs> taking Colorado and 30 something points. So I'm going again. I'm I'm all over the Huskies. When here. I was handicapped at the game, I had the same thought. I said, I've been burned. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? But I just I just kept coming back to Washington being too classy to try to pour it on at the end there. Like I just don't see Kalen DeBoer going, you know what? Let me just stick it to these guys. Now I I think they get Penix Jr. out of the game. 
I think they go, hey, we're going to the Apple Cup. We got to get ready for that one. And I do think Colorado will score a little bit in the game. So, you know, I, I, I think that they'll hang around a little bit. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Wilner, tell them how to find you. Bay Area News Group is the mothership, pac12hotline.com, and we are available media outlets across the Pac-12 footprint. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back on Monday with another episode.